Our podcast is intended for mature audiences. We will be using adult language and listener discretion is advised. We like to remind everyone that we don't have all the answers. Our discussions are opportunities for us to understand the world around us with the information we have. That means we may say things that are inaccurate, false, or possibly offensive. Thank you. Hello, everybody. It's been a long time. Welcome back. I hope you guys have been too bored with us being um, away for so long. I can hear our listeners rolling their eyes being like, these motherfuckers again. I know. They Seriously. keep trying. They're like, we they keep trying and trying. We thought they were going to be done, but they realized, like, we don't when are they going to give fuck? up? It's like that horse they keep beating. A horse named Desire. A horse named Desire. Is that a book? Stella! Yo, Tennessee Williams. A streetcar named Desire. Street you remember, you made me remember that. Thank you. Bruh, on this week's episode of the Obvious Podcast. That was supposed to be a drum roll. We can talk about books. Yeah. Reading is fundamental. Reading, yeah. And we're going to tell everybody to listen to the Reading Rainbow song. Yo. I fucked up <coughs> featuring DMX. How much are they want? Dark Man X is featured on the Reading Rainbow theme song with LeVar Burton. And LeVar Burton is not on the track. <laughs> isn't LeVar Burton on? No, yes, he is. He's, he's the host. He's, he's not the original. The, he's, yeah, he sings, though. He doesn't. He, no, he doesn't. Hey, in my imagination, LeVar Burton's always singing to me, okay? Okay, fine. Let me, don't hurt my imagination. Okay, Troy. Okay, Troy. <laughs> when you, when you, when you think about it, the reading Rainbow song starts off so innocent, but then it just starts like dogging. It's like butterfly. What? what? I can go twice as high. Like, all right. That butterfly didn't do nothing. Adam, what's your favorite books? Oh, so we're just jumping right into it. Yeah, man. We're going to nosedive into the pages. Do you want like a top five overall? Like top five of childhood? What? My academic books. Let's do. Uh, Follow your heart. Let's do fiction. Fiction. Uh, uh, let's just do Follow My Heart. How about that? <laughs> All right then. Why the hell are you asking me? Just in case, like I don't know. I thought maybe I could come up with like fiction books, but I don't read a lot of fiction, so it's, it's fine. So top five books of my heart in no particular order. Um, uh, man, that's kind of weird, Ashley. Mm, Okay, well, I guess the Quran's up there. Ah, uh, you're starting off with fiction, I see. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, a very, a very, a very yeah. controversial. Oh, oh, they don't like Muslims. They must be neo Nazis. That's true. Um, the Quran's up there for various, continue. various, for various reasons. I feel like I would be like uh, cursed if I didn't mention it. Just kidding. But um, yeah, it's a pretty good book. Uh, Muhammad's a cool guy. He uh, bans the jinns and doesn't afraid of anything. Who so it? who wrote it? We won't get into that. But yeah, that's up there, I guess. Um, cool. Putting that away in a special compartment for later, I guess. Or, we will discuss more in a later episode. Yeah, more in a later episode on that. Uh, and then after that, the Phantom Soul Booth. Wow, what a drastic change. Yes. <laughs> Phantom, Phantom uh-huh. Soul Booth. <laughs> That has gins in it. Has a lot of things in it. Um, but the Phantom Toll Booth, if if somebody was like, You need to choose, like if somebody held me at gunpoint and was like, Tell me, tell me a book you're gonna read to your future kid right now or pull the trigger, I'd be like, Phantom Toll Booth. You wouldn't like, say the Quran? That's Haram, yeah. A fictional book. A fictional book. Quran's like a religious text, which is like another thing. This is the fastest way to get some kid to sleep. Yeah. True. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. That's pretty funny. I can't do um, nothing, yo. There's a Phantom Toll Booth up there for me because it's like a, it was a very formative part of my experience as a kid. So, well, how old were you when you were exposed to it? I was like eight, eight or nine. So, like, I read this book and like it just had so much depth to it. So I was like very, very impressed with that. And I think the, even though the book is more than like 60 years old at this point, it still holds up really well, I think. What's it about? I never read it. It's about this kid named Milo who is like completely uninterested with his life. Milo's also like eight years old. And he's like, 
he feels like he's kind of in this limbo between like being a kid and growing up and that there's no point in doing anything and learning anything. He goes through this point of nihilism, I guess. Um, so one day... Is it nihilism or nihilism? doesn't really matter. Tomato, tomato. Uh, and that's so, the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so one day he receives this uh, box in the mail, this package, or as the British say, in the post. And um, it's this like uh, toll booth. Like it's like a fake toll booth that he builds out of cardboard and he takes his cute little fake car and he like drives through it and the next thing he knows after passing through this toll booth he's in an alternate world where a bunch of magical things and stuff happened and the moral of the story is read the book because i won't say anymore uh suffice it to say it was a very stimulating book uh it was like the perfect for my age it was like the perfect reading level there were a lot of words that i didn't know that i learned there's like a lot of deep literary meanings and like it's interesting, like, he play, he plays around with with language a lot. Like, there's this place in the world he's in called Conclusions, and he has to literally jump to Conclusions. Like, that's the only way to get to the place known as Conclusions. Nice. So I think it's, like, it's stuff like that. It's, like, it's a playful, it's a really playful book. So I think that's, it would be up there. Um, there's a, he, he's joined by one of his companions known as Tok, who is a watchdog, literally a dog with a watch built into his, like, side. Like things like that. Like it's a very it's a very cutesy book. So Phantom Toll Booth. Uh, let me start getting into the meat of things. Um, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. Of course. Yes, it has to be up there for me. I don't know. I feel like at this point, in, in this in this day and age where pop where pop culture is, I feel like it's a must read. Anthony Bourdain writes. People called it like an expose and a scathing look at like what it's like working in kitchens in America and stuff. But honestly, it's kind of, uh, I just think it's more of a, it's a really nice anecdotal, like look back at who Bourdain is and really gives you a sense of like, you know, how he thinks and his motivations behind doing what he's done. It's really good. Uh, after that, um, that's three. Uh, the Scavenger's Guide to Haute Cuisine by Stephen Ranella. This was a book I read before I read No Reservation or um, Kitchen Confidential. So it's about this guy. It's Stephen Ranella is this like will like every man like he's a he hunts he fishes he's a very sustainable guy and he stumbles upon um, legendary French chef um, Escoffier's. Um, seminal work called Le Guide, Le Guide Culinaire, where um, it's um, it's a compendium of all of this classical French chefs, like um, all of his recipes and you know from feasts and things like that. And um, Renella pretty much sets out on a personal quest to find and recreate um, thirty meals from that cookbook uh, by scavenging the American wilderness which I think is really cool. And it, it, it gives a lot of deep insight into how he goes about hunting, the respect he has for animals, and the fact that he's working with like this over 100-year-old like cookbook. That's cool. And um, yeah, it's, it's super cool. And it was something that got me into the whole looking back at old cookbooks as an anthropological and like sociological thing as opposed to just like, oh, recipes. Because like a lot of the stuff like Escoffier talks about cooking songbirds and things that you can't really do anymore. And it gave him like instructions on how to butcher a snapping turtle. Like nobody thinks about that sort of stuff anymore. Like Escoffier's recipes in the Guide Culinaire, like don't, you know, it's not something that somebody can go procure this stuff at a market. Like you literally had to hunt and fish and do all this stuff yourself. And the fact that Escoffier as a chef, as a classically trained French chef, uh, has detailed instructions on how to deconstruct a snapping turtle, like the fact that you need to hold it over a table and then like put a hook through its neck and do these things. It's like nobody, no, no conventional chef has to do that sort of stuff anymore. So I think it's very, very like, interesting. So that's four, right? Mm-hmm. Adam, before you get to your fourth one or your fifth one, mm-hmm. how do you feel about hunting and then cooking your own kill? 100% for it. I think everybody should do it at least once. If you eat meat or you eat fish, you should fish, you should hunt, 
you should you should go to a place and slaughter an animal if it's in a sustainable way because if you can't look another living being in the face and understand that you are taking a life to sustain others to sustain your own then you don't deserve to eat that yeah. meat yeah bro i th- i think that yeah, you know exactly yes our, our yes. society i feel like our society is so like saran wrapped and sterile and we are so disconnected from the source of our protein and things like that that people always want to talk about how like oh I, i'll never do x y or z but you, you go down to like your local brand x mart you buy your ground turkey and you think you're like so much better because you're not eating red meat but you probably would never have shot a turkey before or you've never like plucked like a duck. You don't know how you've done gun to shoot. Like, you've, you've yeah. never, you've never seen like an animal's life like be taken, and you don't have any respect for it. And I think that everybody should. Know. I mean, my mom, my mom killed chickens in front of me like when I was a kid. She was like, "You, you need to know like this is this is how it goes." Like, am I? I might be confusing this with another person, but didn't you have like a pet chicken and no, you were it, was eating pet, it? it was a rabbit. Two rabbits. rabbits. Yes, rabbits. Two rabbits. I got you, son. I know your life. So I, I think, yeah, it's, I wouldn't, I mean, I understand, I myself don't do it, right? Like I don't sustain and hunt all the time, but if I have the option, I always want to, I'd rather hunt and keep all my stuff in the freezer, thought out when I need it, a couple Is days there a first thing that you would want to hunt? Uh, I want to go to, Mol- I want to go to Molokai, which is like a small island in Hawaii and hunt the deer there because they're really different than um, American whitetail yep. that you find in you know, so American whitetail deer are kind of like the standard and you find them you find them all over you find them in Virginia you find them all over but in Molokai standard all across North America all the way yeah. up to Canada Molokai Molokai has this uh, specialized breed of deer that they're they're kind of an invasive species at this point they were brought over by the Spanish yep. um, and Molokai is a very rocky craggy island so these deer are super agile so the meat is probably going to be really lean I think it would make good jerky, so I kind of want to go there. Before it's pretty good. Yeah, so I kind of want to go there and hunt. That would kind of be first on my list. I mean, because fishing doesn't really count. My dad and I used to fish for trout and bass like all the time in the summers and cook what we caught. Because I think catch and release fishing is just like dumb as hell. Well, that's like, what jellyfishing is, bro. Like if you sure. when you do catch and release, it's like you catch it, you put a hook in a fish's I mouth, know, and you pull it out. Uh, and it's like, no, I know, but it's like, I'm trying to just going on a rant. Yeah, it's torturous to the fish. It's like, okay, like we put this hook in this mouth. Let's like leave it, let's like let it go now. Yeah, it's probably going to be alive, but all the stress and lactic acid it acquires, like freaky and flailing out, isn't going to make it live and like for another day or so. You might as well just eat it. Right. It's, Man, it's going, off of, uh, going off of Adam, that's, he literally said everything. Like when people ask me, oh, like, why don't you eat meat? That's why. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why. Because... If you don't have the balls in a survival situation, if you don't have the balls to take the life of an animal in order for you to survive, then you don't have the right to eat it outside of that situation. And I know that there are a handful of people in our group of friends that I've asked this question to, and I've asked them, and I'm like, if you had to kill an animal in order to feed yourself, could you do it? And they say no. And I'm like, well, you don't deserve the right to eat the animal otherwise. Just because we live in a mass consumer society doesn't give you the right to be so disconnected from something that's giving its life for you. And like, how can you justify that? Where does your hierarchy lie in that? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. You're right, yeah. And I think it's a humbling experience, you know? Absolutely. So like, I think think everybody should do it. And I think, I mean, honestly, take what you can get. Like, if you think you gotta, you, you wouldn't be able to do it up close, like the way most Muslims do with goats, like with a knife to the jugular. I mean, I have no problem with you going in the woods and hunting it with a rifle, like with a with right. a three hundred eight. Like, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you still have to do. You still have to do. What's going to shake you more is the fact that you have to skin the animal, take out all its guts, and, like that, and that changes a person, man. I did that in my anatomy class in twelfth grade. I was the first person up there. I skinned that deer with Miss Beerman. I remember. And she does it every year. She does it every year. And I was yeah, the first yeah. person up in there. So I fucking filleted the deer, cut the head off, took everything out, gutted it. It was clean. And like, everybody was like, how do you know how to do this? And I was like, you don't know how to fucking live? <laughs> get the fuck out of here. I mean, really, I mean, it's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like self-explanatory, but once you get a cut underneath like, the fur and stuff, you just follow the line. You just follow <laughs> the fascia and just go yeah. um, uh, against it. Mm-hmm. Adam, have you ate deer before? I have. 
I've, I've eaten deer. I've eaten rabbit. Um, deer's pretty good. Um, I remember the first time my dad skinned a rabbit in front of me. He like made like f- probably no more than like four nicks from what I saw, and then he just like pulled it off like it was like a sweater. I was like, "What the heck?" Rabbit leather is really uh, it's really nice. I was using, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I was using a little bit of it. It was about this big, about this long. It's like it's three by two. Yeah, yeah, about three those, feet by two. Um, and like, even the even though my dad and I had like pet rabbits, I mean, he also taught me how to snare like wild rabbit. I think snare. I think snaring, trapping, and like hunting and fishing. I feel like they're life skills just as much as cooking. Like, I have some friends that they don't even know how to, how to turn a stove on, and I'm just like, Jeez. what? Like, I it just like it baffles me. That it's always so still funny. People like that. Anyway. It's always so funny. It's always it's so funny because I feel like we've had the conversation of like, oh, if you had to pick up an old trade, what would you be? And I always tell myself, I want to be a blacksmith, but I'd end up being a butcher. I know it. <laughs> you would make swords, dude. Let's be real. I, I want to tell myself that, but I feel like I'd definitely be well suited as a butcher. I would be a brewer. A brewer? I'd be a brewer or an alchemist. Mm-hmm. Like, because I already feel like I have knowledge with herbs, so I'd be able to like make healing shit. Apothecary. Yeah, apothecary. Exactly. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Milk of the poppy. Adam, you can be a butcher by day, blacksmith by night. Blacksmith by night. True. Just the steel. You can have like. I made these knives myself. Cats do venison like nothing. Nothing. (laughs) What would be your fifth book? My fifth book. So this is a no particular order. Hey, I didn't think I'd get this far. In life, or <laughs> uh, I would have to, I would have to give it to, I would have to give. Ooh, okay, I'll I'll do one more and then honorable mention. How about that? <laughs> so I give it to Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond, which was kind of my first foray into anthropology and sociology. And it talks about you know how societies came to power pretty much through through history. You know, through the means of using either guns, germs, or steel. It's yeah. very self-explanatory. Uh, honorable mention goes to the Communist Manifesto. My boy Marx. My boy Marx. Well, this is definitely a controversial episode. Seize the means yeah, of Islam production. and commies. Ain't no Republicans listen to this. <laughs> Communist, communist, Muslim Antichrist. Yeah, seriously. It's got all the buzzwords. So yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, my five books plus one. And then talking about how we should all kill an animal at some point. Whoops. <laughs> you know, just girly things. Kill an animal in order to understand the meaning of life. Not because of the sake of killing the animal. Let's make that message clear. Yes, not for the sake of killing an animal, right? Don't just kill an animal for sport. <laughs> so, Tori, what are your five favorite books? <laughs> Please, uh, enlighten us. Enlighten you. So, what I when I was thinking about my books... Um, I kind of did like a mini list for books that I used to read as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then I did some of my favorite ones in recent years. Um, so, and what I mean by recent years, I mean like high school and up. And then when I'm a kid, it's like elementary, middle type of thing. So, uh, when I was a wee young lass, I was so Oh, we calling it to lass. <laughs> I was so into the Boxcar Children series. Okay. Um, I think that re- reading that series uh, helped stand my love for mysteries, which then turned into Nancy Drew and mine was uh, the Hardy Boys and Hardy Boys, right? Yeah. The the gender detectives. Yeah, <laughs> the gender detectives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are. That's what they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I read almost all the Nancy Drew books, and I'm pretty proud of that. Cool. They're, they're like there's a few that I hadn't read because I didn't get to it slash kind of got out of it and also slash Caroline Keene the person who was writing it died uh, yeah. <laughs> which was wow. actually really sad I took that I, I took that really hard as a kid um not not even gonna like play that off type of thing um and so and that was kind of like a main big thing because I really liked 
and, and it is a, a pseudonym, a pseudonym, but I really liked her writing and I just, I don't know, I couldn't accept it that she was gone. So I never read it past <laughs> any of her stuff. Um, so yeah. And then that kind of, so you have those two books. Um, I know we were talking about this last week, but, uh, Wrinkle in Time. You're stealing my thunder. I won't say anymore. You're stealing my thunder, yo. Fucking it up. I've, I fucked with that in middle school. Man. Uh, you wouldn't have said that if I didn't say it last week, man. I said it last nah, week. You said it after I said it. Well, it's so y'all ever read Wrinkle Time? That, I vividly remember. haters, yo. No, no, no. no. Fucking, the opposite. I, I literally right. remember, so vividly remember reading that book in my sixth grade science class. Because we were learning about some dumb shit that I already learned in fifth grade. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to go. I'm going to transport myself and wrinkle and dime type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I also want to give a big shout out to Shel Silverstein. Hey, where the sidewalk in, motherfucker. Isn't she dead too? No. He? He's the dude. Oh, the wait. Poet. That's the guy the sidewalk Where the sidewalk ends. Oh. I always thought that it was a girl. His like bald-headed portraits on the back. In the back oh, of the like the cover. horror stories, right? No, 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 no. no the no, scary no, no. stories. To uh, read yo, at yeah, I love I love those books. Me too. Those were those were pretty freaky. Those were pretty good. They were not even that scary. I also want to mention um, like the Bernstein Bears. Steenerstein. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is it Bernstein or Bernstein? I vividly remember as a kid it being. Bernstein with an E-I-N but apparently it's A-I-N Stain? Yeah. Bernstein? Yeah. God. Or spelled as Bernstein. Sounds like a bad night at Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I forgot who it was. A little off topic but there was this MMA fighter who was in a chokehold recently and just his bowels just like he had diarrhea in the <gasps> octagon. Oh, That's awesome. No. Yeah, dude. That's man. I wish I could remember their name, um, but I don't think it was on UFC. Is it, it a video? Is it on YouTube? I haven't looked at it, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. Damn. Yeah. I totally want to see a grown man shit himself. Man, he must be feeling a certain type of way. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. He Before then, an after. he then goes on to lose his next two fights. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right. he was submitted, and then he like had diarrhea in the octagon. Oh, jeez. He submitted. That's an insult to injury. I know exactly. That's really that really sucks. It's pretty shitty. It's pretty. It's shitty. only smells. He said that he didn't tap because of the chokehold. He tapped because he was afraid of getting it on his opponent. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so he took that L. <laughs> he was. He took the L. Nah, bro. I would have shit all over that. Fuck you, me, son. Let's keep going. You gotta yeah, start your dominance. Son. That's the that's the Donald Glover. I'm gonna take my pants off, yo. Let's fight. I'm gonna show us the fight. <laughs> that would be so fucking entertaining. So good for television. Naked guys fighting? No, <laughs> just if he didn't if he didn't um tap if he just kept going in. <laughs> like the saggy pants. Alpha. <laughs> you see how his drawers are sagging from the back because there's mm. shit in them. All right, can we go back to books now? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. Yeah. Totally. And. <laughs> I have to I have to say Harry Potter like I read Harry Potter right. as a kid which either you did or you knew somebody who did basically um, and I also read a lot of the Goosebumps mm. I was really into Goosebumps also the show the Goosebumps show was really good too yeah, yeah. also there's an episode with Ryan, with baby Ryan Gosling and a haunted camera. That's one of my favorite episodes. Please go watch that. Heck people yeah. in this room and listeners. It's I on Netflix. I've seen the YouTube video when people first discovered that and it was on Reddit. People <laughs> like, yo, want to see Baby Ryan Gosling? It was like when um, Probably, the yeah. Goosebumps remake was just happening mm. and people were like just posting stuff about the old show. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that. I unfortunately saw the new Goosebumps. I never saw it. Was it? I heard it was disappointing. Uh, I Honestly, I thought Jack Black did better than I expected. Yeah, but there he, was he like tends a, to do that. <laughs> not for a lot, of, not of his late stuff type of thing. Like prime Jack Black in my mind is School of Rock and Kung Fu Panda. Natural Libre. <laughs> Natural Libre. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was like a, and it's, I'm going to spoil it a little bit because that movie's so stupid, but there's like a forced love plot 
that did not need to happen. In Goosebumps? In Goosebumps. It's a scary movie. Stop adding romance to it. And it was and like... aimed at like young kids For too. nothing. For no reason. And the... Like the love plot was between like the main... Like the main kid... Like the main guy kid that you saw and the main girl that you saw. But then you realize that and learn that the girl is one of... Um, R.L. Stein's characters that he wrote and came to life. So his daughter is like literally imaginary. And this kid's in love with this girl who, like, if her book is destroyed or any way, she's gone too. And it's, I don't know, it was just like. Wow. It's like the it picture like, of Dorian Gray, but for kids. <laughs> exactly. It was just like unnecessarily heavy and forced. Like, you did not need them to be like a, try to be an item or anything. But anyway, back to good stuff. Um, uh, when I got older, or as I've gotten older, um, some books that I really like. Oh, also, well, hold on. Also, as a kid, I wrought, I read a lot of manga. Like, mm. not even gonna. Uh, those are graphic it. novels. Those <laughs> graphic novels, kind of thing. Um, and I was I was such a little white kid. I bought most of my manga books. Bought your manga books? I know. I was I was such a. The dweeb, like even dweebier because of red red manga. Yeah. Um, but I will say one of my prized possessions is owning all of Rurouni Kenshin. Yo, that's pretty cool. That's tight. I'm real. I'm I'm really proud of that. There's like thirty volumes of it, and it's like that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Thanks. Me too. And so as older, I would say the one that I've read recently. And it's not that recent of a book, um, The Martian. I read it because of the of the movie. I saw the movie for first, although I didn't want it to happen that way. <laughs> I wanted to read the book and then see the movie, but it was like two dollars at the bird. Yeah. And some good company was like, "Yo, let's go," and I said, "Yeah, true." Um, it was. It's a really funny book. It's a really funny book. Like I, I think that Matt Damon got the character very well done, because. At a certain point, uh, I forgot the I forgot the astronaut's name, but um, yeah, he's just like up there in space for an infinite amount of time. He's just like I can do whatever the fuck I want, and like at one point where they him and NASA finally get communication to one another, he just sends like a text picture of boobs. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite parts in the book. Where he's just like parentheses dot parentheses parentheses dot parentheses <laughs> because he's like. What are you gonna do? I'm already stuck on a deserted planet. Like yeah. you can't. Yeah. <laughs> like you cannot save me. Okay, that's fine. I've like already decompone that. <laughs> no, so messed up that word. But <laughs> type of thing. It was it was just so funny. Um, and I saw this movie before I read the book too, because I didn't know that was already a book. But um, everything is illuminated. If you guys have heard of that, um, it's basically. Uh, this person is trying to find out their Jewish heritage because um, like a person in the family died or that type of thing or they like asked him to do it and he like goes on this journey um, and goes to like Ukraine, Poland, like uh, Eastern, Eastern European countries um, to like find the, find those roots and find this like ethereal being this ethereal girl that like his grandfather talked about and like it's it's definitely like a journey physically but also a journey like through the narrator um and also the author because it's like two different people because he's writing this memoir about it but he's adding his own spin to it so there's like the memoir that he's writing which is everything's illuminated the book itself but then there's like the the memoir of, of the memories of that of what he's finding and you get to see like what he adds and what he doesn't add but you know what he's for, left out and what he added oh. which is really cool yeah um uh trachenbold trachenbold something like that um yeah it's really good it was really good um i read that or i was forcibly read forcibly needed to read it for a class <laughs> but and by forcefully i mean because it was for a grade type of thing yeah um because i didn't do well on the ap lit test so i had to take that in college Damn. <laughs> um, 
It's, yeah. I mean, even though it's my first language, I'm, when it comes to the technicalities of English, I just, I, I mess up. And right. that's why it's really hard for me to learn other languages because yeah. just like verb conjugation and sentence tense, just. Well, to be fair, English has fucked that up for all of us. Yeah. English is like the most English is the worst grammatical structure yeah. on the fair. Like I before E except after C like screws you over more than it helps you. Right. No, exactly. and the the reality is that there are more exceptions to rules in the language than there are things that follow it. So But that's in any language though. If you speak I wouldn't more. say that in No, I wouldn't. I, English is a redundant language. <laughs> it's not it's not uh not optimal. Not optimal. It's not nice to the learner. It's not yeah. nice to learn at all. It's not user friendly. But... User friendly. But I feel like this is one of those, for me, rare cases where a student reads a book and then it becomes like one of their favorite pieces of literature. Like they made us read a lot of books coming up in elementary school and all of that. Not one of them I really liked, to be honest. I didn't like any of the books they made us read. But it's cool to hear that you really enjoy that. Yeah. And the funny Which book was it? Everything's Eliminated. That's right, yeah. The funny thing is, is that my teacher, um, Hollowell, he was my best friend's English teacher in high school. And he also teaches he teaches high school English and college version of it. Mm. Um, AP AP Lit. And uh, both my two friends, um, one of them is in the same grade as I was, and one was below, uh, a year behind, and both of them had them and had, like, completely different experiences, like, the, my friend who was in my class, as in, like, graduating class, um, because they went to another high school, was, like, he was just, like, a big baby, and, and, like, you couldn't say your opinion without it being, like, fought against or like pretty big statements and then the friend who's younger was like he was one of the best experiences and teachers that i've ever ever had in english and i was like wow those are two polar opposites this is gonna it's gonna be really fun this this semester isn't it (laughs) um yeah and the whole theme for that uh for that semester was escapism and actually like another book from that class is also one of my favorites um it's called cavalier and clay and uh, it's basically historical fiction so it it's these two cousins again one is jewish and <laughs> it's sensing a theme here and one of them comes f- from europe from europe to america and the one the cavalier comes over and clay is already like established in new york he works for like a comic company and then cavalier comes in and it's basically like the origins of superman origins of superman or captain america um where like punching punching nazis punching hitler that type of thing and like being a jewish icon and talks about like the golden age of comic comic books and and pulp paper and pulp fiction and has that story like interwoven with the interpersonal stories of the two characters and then like their rise to fame because they created the escape the escapist which is like based off of real characters like at the time and they mentioned superman and they mentioned like uh like dc and then other other um other comic book characters as well like it's very well written and very into, uh, or very integrated with the actual history of it, where it's coming from. And we saw an interview with the with the art, not artist, um, with the author with the author of how like his dad was in that industry and like loved comic books and and like was alive during that time and wanted to like give that community and that in that important part of media history especially of comic books like a love letter to to that and it's like 600 pages long so it, it is a task but it's really really good when did the book drop uh it's been out for like at least eight years like almost eight okay. years okay so it is kind of relatively recent i mean in terms of like the age of comic book 2000 eras. okay 2000 cool 
Yeah, because that's actually, so that was my teacher's favorite book, and, like, he used that for his thesis or dissertation, or, like, was writing his major paper about it. So he was, like, a huge nerd to talk to about the book, which was really fun. Yeah. I would say those. That's what's up. I like that. Was that five? Um, that was, like, about four... Oh no, it's like six kid ones and then like three older ones. Okay, so you got like eight. Yeah. Nine. 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 All right, Faisal. Saw me now? So you Hi. Do. I actually brought my books with me. <laughs> what yeah, a fucking say, nerd. I, I was going to say, I have my books all around me. So What a, what a cute guy. That's adorable. So my first know. book is... I already know. No. Oh, yeah, son. Yeah, yeah. What I'm sharing is called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do. This entire book is written by Bruce Lee. And it talks about his martial arts philosophy and life philosophy. And everything inside the book, including the handwriting notes, the diagrams, everything was drawn and written by Bruce Lee. And it goes in and talks about different strategies for combat things like that um and the philosophy of jeet kune do but it also touches on like life and different things um because i mean this was heavily influenced by you know chinese culture taoism um and a lot of the philosophy that uh you know the shaolin were on so the fact that i'm even holding this book right now is, is miraculous actually because this book was written in the 70s after Bruce Lee had had a major accident and he had injured his back and he was hospitalized and bedridden for a very long time. He had a back brace for about six months. He couldn't get up, he was immobile, he couldn't work out, he could not do anything. And in that six months in the hospital bed, he wrote this book, The Tao of Jeet Kune Do. And the reason why this, another reason why this book is so important to me is because this year and last year, I personally went through a lot of challenges and a lot of struggles um, with my health um, and other things. And this year I was hospitalized for about a week And even beyond that, even after I was in the hospital, I wasn't good. I was terribly bedridden. I did not even have the energy to stand up. And I was in the hospital and I was thinking about this book. I was like, wow, Bruce Lee made it. You know, even though his body wasn't functioning, his mind was functioning. And he was still still able to become very useful. Not only that, but in his bed, he helped found mixed martial arts. I mean, this is the blueprint right here for mixed martial arts. This is the beginning. Bruce Lee is the grandfather of this shit. And he talks about everything. He even has, I opened up to a random page, he even has jujitsu diagrams right here. Nobody was talking about jujitsu back in the 70s. This was before Except in Japan. Except in Japan and Brazil. So... This was crazy, you know, this was this was revolutionary. But deeper than that, like, it gave me the strength to, like, keep pushing and keep, like, although your body is not working, your mind is. And I was able to write rhymes. I was able to write things. I was able to read. I was able to plan my next steps. Not only that, but I was putting together my resume. I was applying for jobs. Even though I was bedridden, I was on the phone. I was still being productive. That's because I was inspired by bruce lee and that book the Tao of jeet kundo so that's that's my first book right there um my second book is probably something y'all never heard of um they're actually two versions but i'll start with this one the longer more official version is called the eminent of metaphysics it's by forrest landry and it's a book on metaphysics and i have not read this book but this is like really heavy shit and it has very like like deep prolix language like very wordy language so i'm just going to open up to a random ass page and just read something off of it that's too long (laughs) the relations between two photographs are determined by the content of these photographs only 
i.e. they do not depend on particular context of the photograph. This is a boring thing. Let me change it. <laughs> the sphere, although very simple, will not let light pass through it, for coal is not transparent. Despite the complexity of the diamond, however, it does not pass light in this way. One can see that the ability to transmit light, a metaphor for understanding, is not dependent on complexity nor on the materials used. For both coal and diamonds are made of just carbon. The beauty of the diamond and how it makes prisms and sprinkles of light depend on a detailed technology of carefully, careful faceting careful fastening light which typically represents love and spirituality in symbolic terms is made beautiful by the clarity and to some extent the complexity of the diamonds simplicity cannot therefore be the only the one and only end of all considerations of metaphysics nor of spirituality enlightenment as another similar metaphor consider that the important aspect of chandelier is its clarity and not its simplicity. The chandelier is made more impressive by the degree that it is complex and consists of many multifaceted parts. So that one was like a little easier one to understand, but it has very like mind warping, like mind boggling concepts. The second book is called The Effective Choice. I'm actually including both of these as one mm, book yeah. because this one um, is more abridged version of that bigger, longer book. Let's see if I can open it to something. Man, it's soggy when you can like look at a book and tell exactly what the font is. <laughs> like I know exactly yeah. that this is Times New, Rose, New Roman. Yeah. And it's size 12. <laughs> so this book is just like a bunch of little sayings. Emotions are the energy that moves the mind as emotion. They initially power or give strength to one's thoughts. So like little affirmations like this just, you know, kind of make your mind think about things um it's good i keep it by the bed sometimes i read it to fall asleep <laughs> love in its most abstract and impersonal sense is pure potentiality pure energy without quality or form self in its most abstract and personal sense is pure quality without energy or form so like even one of these little aphorisms can be just meditated on for like a whole day or, you know, just for however long you need to. Alright, book three is by David J. Lieberman. You can read anyone. Never be fooled, lied to, or taken advantage of again. This book was written by a CIA interrogator. And he basically talks about things, different techniques to read people's minds. Uh, effective body language techniques. I think he talks about neuro-linguistic programming. Um, basically, just how to get into somebody's head, tell if they're lying, things like that. And he has different techniques and, and all sorts of different scenarios where you can use these things. In. So it's really cool. I learned a lot from it. And it helped me a lot um, with dealing with people, uh, helped me with business whenever I had to negotiate things, helps me with dating whenever I'm at, you know, trying to engage someone's interest level or if someone is uh, like sexually responsive to me or whatever, you know, things like that. Um, it's very informative and very cool. Um, and it talks, it, talk, it talks, it helped me understand a lot about human psychology and the way people make decisions and shit like that. Um, fourth book is a very important book in my life. Yeah, I was waiting for that one. Go. The Gospel of Hip Hop, written uh -oh. by KRS One. And uh, this is like an 800 like page book. It took about 14 years to write. Um, and this copy also I got signed by KRS One. Like three very, times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to. Um, he is a very, very influential person in my life. And um, I say that if there's only one piece of literature that you read about hip-hop culture, let it be this one. Because it talks in-depth about not only hip-hop history, but everything that you would need to know about hip-hop as a lifestyle and as a culture. Now, this book is designed as a life guidance tool i guess in in the lens of hip-hop and it's very spiritual i don't believe like atheists would find this book valuable to them you do have to be a believer in god because there's a lot of connections to hip-hop and divinity inside this book um but 
more importantly, this book came out at a very like important time in my life. And it really was a validation of a lot that I've been thinking about and what I've experienced and been through in my life. And it completely changed my approach and my attitude and mentality towards life in general. Beyond hip hop, like this helped me, helped shaped me as a person, straight up. Like, you know, like, I don't know how else to put it, but yeah, and um, it's, it's very, very important. And, you know, KRS-One, he's a very influential person in my life. It helped me get through some really difficult shit too. Um, I mean, it looks like a religious text. Yes. Yeah. Like it's got it's got like the all around mm-hmm. cover. It's got the gold. Yeah. I mean, you got the even built in bookmark. I'm mm-hmm. assuming right here. Mm-hmm. Like all you need is the gold on the edges or something. Yeah, for and sure. Then and then you got it. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's really cool. It, it talks about hip hop activism. It talks about each element of hip hop. It talks about the etymology. It talks about, it even has an entire chapter. Chapters are called overstandings in that book, called the freestyles. And for every day of the year, there is a freestyle. And I can open it up to you and it's fun to look through. Like you can look up the freestyle for your birthday or a significant date that is important to you. Yeah. And, um, and those have really helped me. And I've also tried that for a year too, where I did my own freestyles. Um, but... They're really, really Yo, Tori, cool. you should wrap your freestyle for your birthday. Wrap my freestyle? Yeah, bro. You should, or read it. Read oh, it no, I gotta piece. go up to the last page. Oh, uh, yeah. December 32nd. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> it is said that opportunity knocks one time, but that knock is heard by the disciplined mind. Yeah. That's yeah. for December 30th. It's a good day. <laughs> for sure. The world was changed. For sure. And the book is really cool. It has um, one of the overstandings is the Hip Hop Declaration of Peace. And um, man, yo, this can be a whole entire episode, honestly. Like me and Garen, we were part of the Hip Hop Liberators, which was a movement at VCU. And we were responsible for putting on symposiums, for putting on lectures and talks about hip hop. Essentially, like breaking a lot of the misconceptions about hip-hop culture, challenging a lot of problematic things within hip-hop relating to violence, relating to gender inequality, all of those things. And the book touches on that too. Um, But if there's, in short, I'm not going to talk too much about it. In short, if if you want to learn about hip-hop and the way to live hip-hop, then that is the book to pick up. One of my all-time favorites, easily my top five. I think the last book I'm going to do is more of a, it is a book, but it's more of a symbolic book. It's called Good Clear Sound, Revised Edition. There are poems, prayers, and meditative memories. This is by a homie named Hamilton Graziano. Yo, Hamilton wrote that? Yeah, this is Hamilton's book. This is Hamilton's book. And he wrote this while he was involved with uh, Slam Nawaddle and Good Clear Sound. That's awesome. So anytime any of my homies publish a book or a piece of literature or a piece of art, I always cop that. I always support you know, and, and that's what this book really is about to me. Yeah, it is a collection of his poetry and his poems, and they're really awesome. I'm a fan of his. We've worked together. It's awesome. Shout out to Hamilton. If you're listening right now, you know, you're, you're the homie. <laughs> I have a lot of books from my friends, a lot of poetry books, a lot of chat books, uh, visual art books. You know, my homies are also illustrators. So that's what this book is about to me, um, just showing support and enjoying what my people can produce and the the life lessons and value that comes along with it man i just did like nancy drew and goosebumps and then Faisal just like lays down the real shit and man I, I was over here i was over here talking about a scavenger like come on i don't know we all we all got our things Faisal keeps us grounded with the real stuff i guess the thing is is like i don't read for pleasure I read for knowledge. For pain. <laughs> <laughs> if the knowledge Amen. bring me pleasure. Hey, uh, hand me my Edgar Allan Poe book real quick. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Spoilers. There's a theme to what we were talking about. Oh, I see. I'm getting some spoilers right now. I like it already. All right. My favorite books of literature. My absolute favorite. When people say, 
if you were trapped on an island and you had to have one book to read, which one would it be? Um, I read this book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. And he was a prominent, uh, let's see, I want to make sure I get it right. He was a leading psychiatrist uh, and his new theory called logotherapy and psychotherapy in the 60s. Um, he was a survivor of the Holocaust. So he wrote this book and it gives you a very cerebral and psychological perspective towards a person that survived the Holocaust. I read this book in my history of psychology. It's my senior thesis class for psychology. Um, and I have to say that like, I, besides reading the Gita, um, I have never teared up before reading this book. This book like broke my shit up. You know, yeah. this book fucked my shit up. Yeah. Um, this is one of the most powerful books I've ever written. And it's, it, this is a, a very small book. Um, I think I finished it in like a few hours and then I like read it again. Um, it's probably one of the most powerful books in my life. And it's surprising cause I just read it like a few years ago. You know, uh, and considering like whatever, everything I was going through at the time and, you know, going through school and finishing my education and everything, I think it, it gave me a very interesting perspective on life and what your interpretation of life is and what your purpose of life is in, on this world, whether that comes from a religious text or something else. Um, <clears throat> I will read you a small passage Yes. from this book um so a secret that you guys didn't know about me or if you did and i know probably alan alan who the fuck's alan 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 verda um <laughs> it's so good oh here it is all right gotcha all right so if you didn't know me i'm a fucking hopeless romantic till the day i die i fucking wear my heart on my sleeve but it also happens to be locked in her chest at the same time. But, um, so this a little bit of background of this anecdote from the book is, uh, he was being marched through, uh, one of the concentration camps. And, um, this is, he was told to march and he was going left two, three, four, right two, three, four. And, you know, basically he was being marched. He says, a thought transfixed me for the first time in my life. I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, the truth that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of a man is through love and in love. I understand how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss, be it only a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. I read that and I was just like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Like, this was him in a concentration camp. And this was the last thing he thought of. I mean, he, he made it out to write the book and everything. But this is what he was thinking of at the time. He says, in a position of utter desolation, when a man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, an honorable way. In such a position, man can, through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment. For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the meaning of the words, the angels are lost in a perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. Ooh, that's fucking heavy, man. And that was like yeah. only page 57 of like, yeah. <laughs> like a hundred and something, 200 page book. So That sounds like almost he, like he was in a state of hopelessness. Um, I don't, I would almost say that he was in a state of meditation because if you read the, um, like a little bit before and a little bit after, essentially he goes on to say that the image he was thinking of is he was thinking about his wife. That was, that was what helped him get through that. The thought of him and his wife. And I was just like, man, like that's fucking awesome. So I can't, I can't that's one of my that. favorite books of all time. If I ever got stuck on an Island, yeah. it would be this. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, when this book came out, this was um, the second most sold book in the world uh, after the Bible, wow. when this book was first published. So when did you pick it up and read it? I picked it up uh, in 2015 when I graduated. Oh, okay. 
because I had to read it for a class, but yeah. I, I thought it was funny when you were like, oh, I had to read so many books for class, but I didn't like any of them by far. This is mm. miles above any of the other books I've ever read. Mm. <clears throat> Let's see. Continuing with my stint of poetry, and Adam will appreciate this one as well. Hey, I like that one. Hey. So I was just about to say that one. My, was my, one of my favorite poets, um, a man by the name of Khalil Gibran, not Gibran, <laughs> Gibran, uh, Lebanese immigrant into the United States in the 1920s. Uh, the book, The Prophet, also one of the best poetry books of all time, in my opinion, um, or arguably. I have some books in Punjabi and Hindi that I think rival this, if not better it, but uh, this is definitely one of my favorite books. Um, it's essentially about a man that comes back after a long journey and the people of his village ask him questions uh, like, what do we do in this situation? What do we do in that situation? And what if someone's done this to you and etc. But he basically answers all of the people that ask him questions in form of a poet or poem. And he basically gives them like this wisdom and it's just so beautiful and it's, man, he has a way with words. He got me. <laughs> now, it was is good. this a English translation? No, this, this, uh, so he actually, uh, I gotta read the inside cover real quick or the back. But the thing is, he actually came to the United States. He actually learned and was educated here. This is actually something he wrote in Arabic and in English as well. So okay. it's translated, it's written by him in English and in Arabic. Okay. So he wrote this in both languages. So yeah, it's as accurate. Crazy. And, and my thing is, I think it's very interesting that a person from the 1920s that's an immigrant did this. Wow. That's why I think it's so cool, just like through historical context. Oh, let's see. Let's get some, get some more deepness in this action. Don't worry, Tori. Don't, don't worry. You, you thought you could steal my thunder. <laughs> No, everyone's stealing my. <laughs> that's that's what I'm admitting. Um, my favorite American writers and every like literally every English or AP literature person will be like, "Fuck off! You're just jerking off to Dr. Hall now." Um, <laughs> but Walden by Henry David Thoreau. And uh, fun fact: his name was actually David Henry Thoreau, and he changed it. Dr. Hall taught me. Thank you. Um, I always start reading Walden every summer. I always start and I get a little bit further every time. And it's just a very easy, peaceful read. I've never finished it yet. Um, well, I finished it in school, but I always start it. I always get a little bit further every time and I just put it away. But it's, it's something that I just like, it's like literature yoga for me. It's like going in, reading a few pages of Walden and then I feel relieved. It's just very peaceful, very calm. Takes you through like kind of slice of life type deal mm. of a guy that's literally just living in the woods. He's like, fuck the world. I'm gonna go hang out in these woods. Y'all let me know what's what. And I'm like, yeah, bro, why not? You can do whatever you want. It's pretty cool. Kind of like Into the Wild. I was literally just <laughs> yeah. thinking about it. Is, it. is it a better Into the Wild? I've never read that, so I don't know. That yeah, dude, that dude is... I wouldn't be able to comment <laughs> on that. That dude is soggy as hell. I, um, they made me read Into the Wild, I think, senior year high school. I hated that book, man. I wanted to burn that shit. And uh, another book that I read while I was also in school, thank you to my APRI literature teachers, um, Slaughterhouse-Five by another American writer, author, uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Definitely picked this up because of the name. Uh, had nothing to do with the name except one slight small reference. It's a very interesting book. It is about time travel. It has a little bit of sci-fi, but a lot of people interpret it as a man's, um, and you can tell I kind of definitely had a World War II phase, um, a man's interpretation of PTSD after World War II. Uh, that's what a lot of the metaphor of this book is, is this guy was a troop, went to World War II, he died, didn't he die, there's tra time travel, and it's like him creating an alternate universe where he is coping with the fact that he was a soldier. It's how some people interpret this book. But how do you interpret it? Um, that theory was brought to me a lot later after I had already finished the book and forgotten some of it. 
So I have to go back and read it again, to be honest with you, and develop a fresh take on it. But I saw it as a very interesting kind of wrinkle in timey type book. So that's number four. Now, number five, I'm going to include a series of books, but it's all one. Lord of the Motherfucking Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Did you read all of them? I am reading The Hobbit. I read all of the other ones. I have two of them right there. I have just ordered the publisher because I don't know where the hell I put it. I have already ordered uh, one of the first printed copies for it, so uh, because I'm a collector. Have you read the Silmarillion? Is that the one with the languages? It's like the pre pre Hobbit where they explain and set up. Yeah, all it's the like pre Hobbit. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of it. I've never read it. Do you have that? I do not. Useful. I have the Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is probably one of my favorite sets of books as far as like sci-fi goes that's my favorite fictional type book um series is awesome i would boldly state and take this battle into answer that lord of the rings is significantly uh better than harry potter because harry potter is a punk ass bitch um and he's not even a fraction of a decimal of a fraction of the wizard that gandalf is (laughs) They're, you're comparing two completely bruh, different things. Bruh, bruh, I'll you let you bruh. talk, right? I'll let you talk, right? No, you didn't. You, le- you yelled at me about Wrinkle and Die. <laughs> that was like for six seconds. But you talked the entire rest of the time. Didn't interrupt you one time after that. I'm thinking you about can go two back seconds and listen. right now. <laughs> we got it all waxed. Harry Potter. Punk ass bitch. <laughs> this is going to be a recurring theme on our Couldn't show. Couldn't hold a candle to Gandalf. They're Gray, completely different wizards. I mean, I agree with you. Or yellow, or all the Power Ranger colors, Gandalfs. I don't give a fuck. The stereotype, stereotype Power Ranger colors. <laughs> Red light. <laughs> RGB, bro. No, um, I'm just kidding. No, you're right. There are two completely different things. That's like uh, uh, me saying Star Trek is better than Star Wars, even though it is, but you know, that's besides the point. Um, it's cool. I think everybody should. It was my introduction to sci fi. Uh, actually, no, nope, I lied. It's more My fantasy. introduction to star- sci-fi was Star Trek. But as far as fantasy is concerned, it was my first introduction. I wasn't really... Uh, I definitely read Harry Potter. I read up to... Goblet of Fire was the fourth one. Mm-hmm. I read up to Goblet of Fire because I remember like we were in school and they were the books were coming, coming out up. as the movies were coming out. And I was like, oh, this is like really cool. And, you know, was in it. But after I saw the Goblet of Fire movie, I kind of just lost interest. And I was like, man, when are they going to bring Lord of the Rings back? <laughs> little, little did I know, it was like all over anyway. I think that was a pivotal point for a lot of people. Where yeah. people just fell off and didn't care about Harry Potter anymore. Yeah. Well, Even when, though I went back. things got really serious too. Like when the plot mm-hmm. started to happen. But I mean, honestly, it was also the fact that like. I didn't have time to read all that. That was a fat-ass book, man. Exactly. But from, the, but from the problem, Prisoner but the Azkaban problem is, to Yo, you got to get your fire. feet off my books, bro, before you get your ass whooped. It wasn't on your books. No, you don't put your feet on my books, bro. I ain't going to tell you again. Don't ever do that shit again in my house. I, I relax. It wasn't on there. Put your feet on the books. You don't do that. But yeah, the, the jump between the third book and the fourth book was like, uh, I used to have like a pamphlet. Now I have a textbook <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> but the thing is like it wasn't even the length of the book i can't i can't say it was the length of the book i will say it was the amount of time i was dedicating between harry potter and like other stuff i, I was like reading because at the time another one of my favorite like sci-fi fantasy horror genre books was uh the cirque du freak series by darren sean yo i always wanted to read those yo though fucking hot fire go read it right now all of it that was one of the first series where i started from the first book and i would like go to hernan fortnightly library and like wait week after week to see the next book like this was a kid i was like i didn't have fucking cable i didn't go anywhere like my parents would drop me and my brother off at the library and we'd be like reading shonen jump and fucking waiting for books to come back and reading books like we didn't have tv so like i was waiting every few months like i would keep up with when the new book was going to come out and all that. And, like, come to find out, Darren Sean, like, made it, like, a big ego trip. And it was... I mean, no disrespect to him. He's a great writer. But it was soggy that, like, in the end of the... the well, 
You uh, just said it was lit. It was lit though. It's still lit, <laughs> but it's like he makes it so like in like the most roundabout way he makes it about himself. And I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? But you should read, definitely read it. It's like an eight or nine book series, Cirque du Freak. It's definitely they're easy reads. I mean, they're like young adult books. Yeah, they're like sure. Divergent, Hunger Games, like that kind of book. So it's not hard to digest at all. Um, would definitely recommend that. And my favorite children's book that helped me learn how to read Nate the motherfucking great the motherfucking great yeah Nate the great yeah that dude helped me learn how to read because if it wasn't for him I'd be like bruh 21 <laughs> 21 I would not be very intelligent if it wasn't for Nate the great I would not have read all of these other books if it wasn't for the for that book laying its foundation for me and I'm very thankful for it so your children's book, all of them, all the books, they play a very prominent role in order for us to have this discussion in the first place, Tori. Oh, thanks, Dave. Um, that and then, like, I'm surprised we didn't bring up a series of unfortunate events. I was going to mention it after you mentioned Cirque du Freak. Yeah. That, that series. And then... Man. Cirque du Freak, Darren Sean also came up with another series. It's called Demonada. And, like, that was, like, a lot darker. It was about, like, all these crazy demons and shit. It definitely was not... The cover was not something... Uh, Christian family would have at their house. It was mm-hmm. definitely a thing. You would read at the library and keep it safe. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, <laughs> it was a very interesting book, but it was very well written. I mean, it was just a horror book, but it was cool. And, uh, you know, those are all of our favorite books. If you'd like to tell us about your books, please do. And uh, I'll leave you with a quote from my man's. If you can tell me who this uh, quote is from and from which book, uh, you'll get a crisp high five. Oh boy. Are you ready? Not all those who wander are lost. Oh, come on. <laughs> so easy. So easy. If you would like to educate us, challenge us, or provide feedback, write to us at our email, abvi.us.podcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at abviuspodcast. Thank you.